Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Wildstorm Addiction, episode number 30 for February 2012. I'm Ben Murphy. And I'm Joe David Solis. And this month, we will be discussing Stormwatch number 5, Grifter number 5, and Voodoo number 5, as well as some other Wildstorm appearances in the new DCU number 52. I do, however, want to remind everybody that we do spoil the issues. However, we're about a month behind whenever these podcasts come out, so... Y'all better have already gone out and bought them and read through them and loved them as much as we usually do. And Joe's reviews, written reviews that are on our website, uh, about the same day that the issues release are spoiler-free unless otherwise noted. Thank you for that, Joe. No problem. And they are the same. They're always late that night. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to go right into the Wildstorm news. A lot of news coming out this past month. Now that the books are right around number five and number six, we're getting all the solicits for seven, eight, and even nine. And now we're starting to see a lot of changeover in the creators of the new DCU titles. Luckily, however, the Wildstorm titles have gotten through unscathed, and they survived the first round of DCU new 52 cancellations, which is great. Woohoo! I do want to go into a, a couple of things related to the titles that we normally cover. Nathan Edmonds' last issue of Grifter will be number eight. Um, we found out that Rob Liefeld will be plotting, starting with number nine. Now, plotting, we're putting in quotes here, the statement from DC reads that Leefield will be also plotting Grifter. He shared his plans to tighten the screws on Cole Cash, expanding on the cosmic consequences of his battle against the Daemonites. Leefield even hinted at the possible inclusion of a fan-favorite Wildstorm character, newly reimagined and reintroduced as part of DC Comics' The New 52. Grifter has been targeted for extermination. The time is now for Grifter to embrace his destiny and lead the insurgent against the impending Daemonite threat. (laughs) To get down to it, uh, I actually read something on CBR uh, News, and basically, Leefield is going to be writing the Grifter title. Whether his name is going to be on the slot saying writer or not, for now, he's basically writing it. You know, the character that he may be alluding to is uh, probably Deathblow, is who we're going to be seeing here pretty soon, which is pretty cool. More Wildstorm appearances to come. Superman number 8 features another appearance of Hellspawn. I guess that battle will span a few issues, which is awesome. In USA Today interview, Lobdell mentioned that we will see Gen 13's Grunge, which we've already seen. Um, him on a cover, which is pretty cool. And this was confirmed by that cover of Superboy number 8 in April. And Leefield has teased that we'll see Deathblow and Grifter and Pike in one of the three books he's producing. So that would be an interesting to see which one he pops up in. Um, we've mentioned this earlier, but Stormwatch volume number 1 hardcover was resolicited for March 2012, which collects Stormwatch number 37 through 47, uh, Warren Ellis's original run, which is by far a classic Wildstorm read. If you guys have never read it, go out and get this hardcover. You will not be disappointed. Uh, and Amazon.com has Wildcats hardcover relisted for September, so 
They seem to have pushed these two volumes back, but we will get them eventually. No doubt about that. Wildstorm, uh, as I mentioned before, those books have survived the first round of cancellations. Of the six books mentioned to replace existing titles, this one sounds the most promising to have Wildstorm characters included, which is The Ravagers, written by Howard Mackey, artist Ian Churchill. Spinning off from Teen Titans and Superboy, the series finds our superpowered teens on the run and fighting against the organization that wants to turn them into supervillains. We will probably see uh, some cool characters. I have a feeling we'll probably see some Gen 13 characters, maybe. And that's where we stand with the news. There's a lot going on as the, uh, like I mentioned earlier, as the titles start to get past their number six, which I guess was an agreed upon number for most of the uh, the creators involved that they were going to see through. Yeah, so, I mean, it's definitely cool that uh, the Wildstorm titles did survive. The one interesting thing I find about that Wildcat solicit is that it is September, which would be when the number 12s start hitting. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, because they've been talking about, or, I mean, different fans have been wondering if they're leading to a Wildcats title, you know, because they're pushing the Daemonite so much. So you you know that eventually it's coming. You know, with the low numbers and everything, you know, I was always worried about Voodoo, but... You know, if she ends in favor of a Wildcats title, I can live with that. So <laughs> we'll see what happens come September. We'll go ahead and move on to our first review, which is Stormwatch number five. This one is uh, written by Paul Cornell with art and cover by Miguel Sepulveda. You know, we've uh, we had a long, uh, long four issues there, I guess, with the battle with the moon and all that, and. We did get a lot stuffed into those four issues, so this issue does still have some good action to it, but it finally slowed things down enough to where hopefully the people have been frustrated about how fast this title's been going by. Hopefully this will give them uh, enough time to breathe just to just in time for yet more craziness at the end, as you'll see when we get to the last page. <laughs> Start with a great cover by Miguel. It shows Midnighter versus Harry Tanner. The cover reads The Murder Machine versus The Prince of Lies, which is uh, interesting. Some of the themes that, uh, that Paul Cornell is weaving into this, you know, because we have uh, the character of Adam One, who's supposed to be, you know, the first person, and the whole name Adam, you know, tied to the Bible and the first man, and so on and so forth. And here you've got The Prince of Lies, who always refers to Satan and the devil in the Bible. So I just thought that was interesting stuff. After reading some of his recent Demon Knights issues, there was some more of that woven in there. We'll talk about that later. You know, we start off back on the Eye of the Storm headquarters for Stormwatch, and we've got a representative from the Stormwatch Shadow Cabinet here who's, we don't know if he's another superpowered being or if the, his appearance is, because he's got this very cosmic looking appearance where it looks like there's an entire universe in him, but you know there's no telling what the truth is behind that but basically he's he's getting ready to kill Adam 1 because they consider him a failure as Stormwatch's leader you know even though the uh, the other Stormwatch members object basically the shadow cabinet member just opens his vortex and sucks Adam 1 into it and basically tells him that uh you know they've killed him but he has to die in order to exist in the realm that uh, where the Shadow Cabinet is. So that's some pretty interesting concepts, and it was kind of cool to start getting into some stuff like this because, 
you know the the authority and especially after Warren Ellis took it over later on it was always about the high concepts you know the the, the kind of things that I know that Cornell probably hit on when he used to write Doctor Who which if I'm not mistaken I know I'm pretty sure I've read that in interviews um, but this is the kind of stuff that that I really like about this book I like I like these kind of high concept celestial beans and all that good stuff <laughs> so then then we get a nice little scene where uh, the shadow cab- cabinet member basically tells the rest of them well now we have to pick a new leader for Stormwatch <laughs> and this scene I thought was pretty pretty brilliant because he um, he goes you know member by member and kind of gives a little uh, little bit of info about each member as he goes down the line basically about which members are potentially leaders and and why he doesn't think that they are you know he goes first to um to the engineer basically tells her that you know he knows he knows he knows her too well and there's no way that she could be the leader and and then he goes down and talks to Jenny and <laughs> the joke about Jenny Quantum's name is still still here where he says you know Jenny who's still deciding what her surname should be <laughs> You know, our powers vary depending on what's known about the 21st century physics. So, it's kind of funny that they they continue to keep that gag going because you know, back in the Wildstorm, it was always is it Jenny Quarks or is it Jenny Quantum? <laughs> so, you know, obviously he says you know she's too young and it can't be her. And then he moves on to Jack. <laughs> this is also where Paul Cornell throws in some of some of his humor too, where you know he's basically. Telling Jack why he can't um, be Stormwatch's leader, and he he just randomly mentions, "Oh, and Jack, uh, he has sex with Wells." <laughs> like, where did that come from? <laughs> and then he goes on to state that Jack's too unpredictable to lead Stormwatch, which I guess if that's you know part of his unpredictability, <laughs> then so be it. <laughs> and then you know he has an interesting exchange with the Martian Manhunter, where he actually the Martian Manhunter cuts him off before he can give too much information about him. So so we really don't get uh, too much insight into why he doesn't pick the Martian Manhunter. And, uh, you know, he tells Angela that she's too individualistic to lead Stormwatch. And then, uh, finally, of course, uh, Harry Tanner, who um, basically just tells him, you know, sorry, you don't have the power. So that leaves the projectionist who he picks to lead. <laughs> Which is definitely an interesting choice. You know, she's kind of probably, I guess you consider, in some ways, the weakest member. But as he points out, you know, her um, ability to, you know, control media and all that can can be a powerful tool. So, as the other members object, you know, he basically changes the subject and asks them, you know, well, instead of arguing, you know, why don't you guys wonder where Midnighter and Apollo went? And so we, you know, pan over to Midnight and Apollo, who are basically trying to find a way to escape the Eye of the Storm. And we get a nice little uh, scene as they're running through the halls. We see a, a, a collection room that has several artifacts, and we see um, Jenny Sparks's shirt. You know, Jenny Sparks was a member of the Authority. Uh, we see Green Lantern's ring. Uh, we see what looks like the bottled city of Candor. And we actually see the box uh, that, as we saw in Demon Knights, uh, Merlin, who we found out was Adam-1, put the Holy Grail inside the box. 
So that's just sitting there. And there's some sort of creature in a bottle. Somebody mentioned they thought it was a daemonite, but that's, that's not the right design for a daemonite. So I'm not sure where that creature is from. It looks familiar, but I couldn't place it. So we have a nice little uh, exchange between Midnight or Apollo when uh, Midnighter, you know, is trying to get Apollo to follow him. And basically Apollo finally stops him and says, you know, why should I work with you rather than them? And, you know, he just basically tells him that, you know, he feels that, that they're two of a kind and actually takes off his mask and uh, Midnighter reveals that his real name is Lucas. And it's interesting that uh, they have totally changed Midnighter's look. You know, because in the old All-Storm universe, he was definitely, he was, I remember he was white and he had blonde hair, because I remember there was an issue with that with Grifter one time where they both looked identical. <laughs> but here, uh, I'm not sure, I can't tell if they've, I, I don't think they've portrayed him as a black man, but he, it's sure pretty close. <laughs> anyway, it's interesting because it's definitely another change. So that was pretty cool that, uh, that we got a nice little character moment with them. And then... um as they continue to um, to head out through through the rest of the Eye of the Storm, you know, the other members are still arguing about this, and then, you know, uh, Harry Tanner offers to go find them. Meanwhile, as they're doing that, then uh, Stormwatch, the rest of the team, gets a emergency alarm. So Apollo and Midnighter see the same alarm, and they see it's a proximity alarm, so they figure something's about to attack the station. So Apollo actually heads out into space to, or into hyperspace to find out what it is. Meanwhile, Harry Tanner apparently shows that he's the one that created the diversion because he's stealing information from Stormwatch. So Midnighter figured out that this was diversion and confronts Harry and we get a really awesome battle between the two. It's just it was just really cool to see to see this uh these two go at it. I mean, like I said, Paul Cornell you know, here with Harry Tanner being a new character, I was really built up this character to be, I think, probably the most interesting for me just because I want to know what his what his true goal is here. You know, to finally see Midnighter in action one-on-one with somebody. I mean, he did go up against the creature, obviously, but to me this was really getting to show what Midnighter can do. And, I mean, we get several pages of, like I said, it's just an incredible fight between the two. And then... Finally, Projectionist breaks it up, and um, Harry grabs her and actually takes her out into hyperspace because apparently he has set a bomb in the Eye of the Storm. It's set to blow that alien horn that they found, and we end the last page with the station exploding. (laughs) So, definitely one of those. (laughs) This was definitely a month for, you know, WTF moments on the last page, as you'll see when we get to Voodoo later, but... (laughs) I just love here, it's just, you know, the last page just shows the station exploding. It says, 2012, the end of the world starts here. (laughs) And I also love that they show you where to continue to follow it from here. As uh, as it tells us to follow, you know, Stormwatch number six, of course, next month. And then Superman number six, which I thought was interesting. Uh, It'll probably just have a teaser, because obviously seven and eight are the ones that have Hellspont. And then Grifter number seven, which actually has Midnighter versus Grifter. So all in all, I just thought that this was an incredible issue. I mean, this this series just continues to just knock it out of the park. I really hope that uh, that anybody who's dropped it will give it a chance. Just come back here on issue five. You'll get some insight into these characters that you probably were wondering about. But I just, 
you know, it's it's kind of sad that Paul Cornell's last issue is next next month, but man, this is going to make a great trade when it comes out. <laughs> so anyway, what do you think, Ben? Yeah, I agree. Um, Paul started this this title, and and he basically said, you know, I'm going to write about this team breaking apart. Well, I didn't realize that breaking apart was going to be in bits and pieces scattered about hyperspace or, you know, <laughs> the <laughs> <Yeah>. bleed. <laughs> didn't know it was literal. <laughs> yeah, so I thought that's really cool. It's a, a really cool way to, to start the title is to basically deconstruct it, and I guess it'll be starting anew in issue number six. So it, it it's awesome to see where this is going to go. I'm, I'm really excited for this title. I mean, I've mentioned it several times that this is probably my favorite one and will continue to be so for the new 52 if it continues to go along this this strong strong arc that it started with yeah the superman number six tie-in if it has one little picture of a horn i'm gonna flip out and get really mad again like like the last (laughs) time but i I, i'm gonna place my bets on hellspawn is on the last page of superman number six and that's all (laughs) that's probably very true i would think so seeming that he's on the cover of seven and eight but no it's it's great to see you know these wildstorm characters being tied so closely into um some of the major 52 you know some of the major dc characters that you know have been around forever and that they're they're taking the time to tie them so closely together and not just a yeah, slug them off. So that was an awesome issue, man. I loved it. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I heard Keith Giffen, you know, who's writing the Superman title around that time. He basically said that you know they they told him you know that he they wanted him to put Hellspawn in in his plans, and he was like, okay, you know, and he's written Wildstorm before, and he understood that basically what they're doing is they're putting the Wildstorm characters in a bigger spotlight. You know, obviously put him up against Superman. You know the the main person of the DCU, and get, that'll definitely draw attention to those characters. So, so definitely, I do applaud DC for that. You know that they they do recognize it's obviously we do have to to use the established characters to bring these in. Absolutely, and and you know we'll see more ties and as we go along. Um, I may as well just jump into Grifter number five because it just continues. It's crazy how how much the Damonite influence is is going to start to play in the entire. Uh, DCU 52, at least a good portion of it. So, Grifter number 5, released on January 11th, written by Nathan Edmondson, with art and cover by Scott Clark. This issue really just jumps into right where they were um, last, with, you know, Grifter ran across Green Arrow in Seattle, and a woman bailed him out named Sophia, and what we realize quickly as she kind of takes him back to her headquarters i guess she has a workshop and she actually works for q core which is um you know under green arrow so she has her own workshop but it's kind of a you know just a mundane little hole in the wall it looks like it's in the basement somewhere with some uh fluorescent lighting and uh grifter still doesn't trust sophia so <laughs> She she's like, well, if you don't trust me here, and she hands him a gun, and he quickly points it right at her temple, and she's like, seriously, come on, dude, you could trust me, and uh, she pulls his mask off and calls him handsome in Spanish, and you know, it is a little sultry, but basically she's like, 
this isn't really my workshop. This is, and she clicks a button and, you know, the wall pulls away and there's this huge, enormous room with a ton of equipment and a ton of uh, hardware. And she's like, pick a weapon, any weapon, soldier. So that's basically basically how this issue starts out, you know, from the craziness that happened in the last one. So from there, we flip over to uh, a Damonite stronghold in Seattle, and this is where Savo is, who we met a long time ago in Grifter, um, who was the one responsible for killing Grifter's brother. And he's a Damonite in a host body as a male with dark hair. And he is um, talking to another Damonite who is, I guess, in another region. Her name is Carver. Now, we find out quickly that Carver is the woman that um, trapped Grifter's uh, love interest in the first couple issues, which is Gretchen. And that's kind of who Grifter's been going after, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with him. But he's he's also trying to figure out where Gretchen is. And, and this woman, Carver, has her. She's a Damonite. They're talking to one another. Basically, Carver doesn't really like Savo. She thinks he's an idiot. But they do have to work together. They're both Damonites. They're both after the same goal. And Carver starts discussing about the uh, the Black Curate. Now, it, it's pretty obvious, you know, as you read through this issue, who the Black Curate is. And they even mention it fairly closely in the end. But we'll get to that. So, basically, she tells Savo to just hold tight. Don't do anything stupid. But... We know where this is going. Um, Gretchen's kind of pissed off and wants to know why uh, Carver has her locked up. And uh, Carver's like, I read your mind. I can tell that you and Mr. Cash have uh, passionate feelings for one another. And I think you're going to be useful as a possible ploy in the future. So that's basically why she's holding Gretchen for now. And it's been established that he's, he's not a big deal to them, but he has been quite a thorn in their side so we go back to Sophia and Grifter she uh, lets him know that she's been studying the Damonites for quite some time but didn't actually realize what they were until Grifter showed up and and kind of drew them out into the open but she realized that there there was a Damonite out there a Damonite contingency out there and Grifter kind of wanted to know what Qcor wanted to do with them but basically that she only knew that they had uh, interest in Q-Core's technology and wanted to use it for Damonite purposes. From whatever Q-Core is developing, she didn't allude to what that was exactly. And then she's like, we can go after them. You know, we can figure out uh, where to go from here, but she doesn't have any money. And there's a really awful pun about Grifter not having any problem with a cash issue. <laughs> it's uh, quite goofy. Anyways, we go on from there. He He's packing heat. He's uh, back out on downtown Seattle, middle of the day, uh, walking through. It's fairly busy out on the sidewalks. Um, and he's talking about finding a mark, uh, somebody to take advantage of to start, you know, to solve whatever cash issue they may have to, to go after the Damonites. He uses a an old an old trick of uh, you know having a necklace in his palm and going up to a woman and kind of dropping it down and letting it dangle. But as he does that, um, I guess time slows down and stands still around him, and all the people that were on the street kind of come to a stop, but he isn't stopped. And then right away he uh, 
he hears a Daemonite and the Daemonites are like, reveal yourself for what you are and bring me the man. So all these Daemonites that were in the area, actually there was just really a call out to the Daemonites, anybody that finds Grifter, to go after him. So there's a one close by that turns around, reveals himself as a Daemonite, I guess peels out of his uh, his shell and goes right towards Grifter, and Grifter just blows his head off. And then they just all come out of the woodwork. They're all over the street. Um, you kind of lose the background that was a busy daytime, and now it looks very dark outside and uh, almost looks like nighttime again. But anyways, the Daemonites are all after him. There's probably a couple dozen around him. Grifter's like, all right, bring it on. He puts on his mask and... And starts going to town, lighting them up. And then, you know, it's just a, a really big fight scene, really. It's it's going through, like, five or six pages here. And then Savo finally makes himself known and, and walks forward. And Grifter's like, what? Am I not enough for you? You know, because all the Daemonites stop fighting him and stop. Savo steps forward and Grifter's like, I, I want you. I want to take you on one-on-one for killing my brother. And he's like, really? I didn't kill your brother. Your brother killed himself. I guess by getting in the way of the helicopter, but I'm sure Grifter wouldn't think of it that way. Grifter threw down his gun at that point to kind of seem like he's unarmed while they were having that conversation. I guess he got sick of that conversation and he threw a knife right at Savo and kind of splits open his face. Really doesn't make Savo too happy here. But really what happens now is uh, Carver comes in and you see this big alien ship above them I suppose it's in space, but you know, since they slowed down time, it's, it looks like it's hovering not, not too far from them. <laughs> and Carver busts Savo's chops a little bit more, and like, I, you can't even handle anything I give you, let alone this one man here. You know, and basically sees Savo as going after Grifter as a very petty task and a petty thing that, that he can't get past this, this one guy. And Grifter finally looks up and sees the ship and is like, oh my god, what is that? And as he does so, the two Daemonites behind him, you just see their uh, little bit of blue come out, flying out of their brains. And I guess uh, Sophia is shown to be a sniper farther down the street and she's starting to take out all the horde that's around him. Carver immediately turns around and is like, eliminate the sniper. And it's really cool, we've never seen this part. A few of the Daemonites turn red and turn around and they have artillery on their backs. And those pop up and actually shoot towards Sophia and she almost gets blown blown to smithereens. And while this is happening, they have Grifter tied up and they're basically loading him onto the ship. Carver is ascending, you know, with like a tractor beam up into the ship along with Grifter who's taken hostage. All of this happens, it looks like, in only a few minutes. And Sophia's left there holding a sniper rifle with a big, huge scope on it in the middle of the street. And time starts back up and all the people reappear on the street. And, you know, one guy calls out, she's got a gun. And the other's like, terrorist. And she basically drops the gun and starts running away as fast as she can. And it's like, I'll find you, Cole. And then Savo himself, you know, still in human form, just walks away from the situation that happened on the street. And then we cut to the inside of that Daemonite ship, and Grifter is bound to the floor, and Gretchen is right next to to him in a in a cylindrical uh, 
jail cell, so to speak. It looks like she's a something that Voodoo's more acquainted to, I'll say. And Grifter's like calling out to her and and a Daemonite punches him in the face just to silence him and and Carver's right next to him and says, It's time to send out the message, gather all, the portal's lit, it's time to summon the black curate. His arrival is nigh. Let us begin the chant. So Next issue, the title says, well, it probably won't be the title, but it says The Black Curate. So I have a feeling that The Black Curate may or may not be Hellspawn himself, which would probably be true, but hey, I don't want to spoil it for all of you guys. But anyways, another action-packed issue. We get to find out a little bit more about the new character, Sophia which I think, Joe, you mentioned the last time that you wanted to get to know more about her. So pretty cool that we find out that she's an employee of uh, Green Arrow's organization, uh, Q-Core. And uh, we get to see some more awesome fights between Grifter and Daemonites. I mean, can't get enough of those. The drawing that Scott Clark is doing is amazing. Continues to be, I mean, it's... the, The new character design for the Daemonites is not an easy one, and you know all the all the artists that are out here that have to draw them in the upcoming issues, and as they cross over and become more apparent, kudos to them because you know there's there's more that that we don't know about them just yet. And each and every issue that I seem to read about them, you know, we learn more about them. It's pretty awesome. Uh, another solid issue. You know, I, I'm enjoying the action. At some point, you know, <laughs> hopefully this guy can get a night's sleep because uh, he's been on the run for a long, long time now. And, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Still enjoying Grifter. How about you, Joe? Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's funny because the, that's, that's, the, that's the thin line I see when I read people's stuff online. It's like either they're really enjoying the action or they're hating that it's only action, you know? And it's like, you know, Grifter is an action-oriented character, so... I mean, yeah, you want some character moments, and I'm sh- I'm sure we'll we'll get to that eventually. But I think, you know, uh, obviously Nathan is writing geared more towards the action and just kind of entering the information as we go. Because yeah, I know the one thing I've heard is that you know well, we don't really know too much about Grifter yet. So I mean, we we've learned a little bit, but obviously with him, you know, starting the first issue, kind of with amnesia, not really knowing you know anything himself. So, you know, I guess as we go, it's like, you know, how much would you really find out or how convenient would it be for you to find all this stuff out, I guess. So, so you gotta, you gotta take it back and forth, I guess, like that with this title. But yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying the action and yeah, I love the, I think I appreciated this battle more after I, after I saw the one in Voodoo, you know, where we'll talk about later that she takes on one Daemonite and you see how much trouble she has with the one, (laughs) you know, and, and she's got powers you know grifter doesn't seem to have powers you know other than the ability to catch arrows out of nowhere as we found last issue (laughs) so but yeah no i mean um obviously grifter's the title where you know the daemonites are the focus you know even though we are seeing them you know over in voodoo and then later in stormwatch and superman but but grifter's title is the one that's that's been teaching us everything we need to know about the about the, the the dcu's version of these characters so you know, I think, you know, we'll see here now that, you know, we've had a change in the story where Grifter's gotten captured and 
we'll just have to wait and see. You know, hopefully, hopefully more people will hang on. Hopefully, we'll uh, continue to want to see what happens next. Um, you know, I was kind of curious as you know you were going through, and I realized, you know, I wonder how the the Daemonites do the whole stopping time thing. You know, I guess it's a it's just a pocket. You know that they do it in obviously because it only affected that small area, and it makes you wonder: Was Gretchen? I mean, not Gretchen. Uh, Sophia had she followed Grifter, and so when they created the pocket, was she already in there? Because obviously, it doesn't seem that people can get into it because obviously the people around them didn't know what was going on. So I found that that was interesting. You know, because if that's true, then you know at the beginning, did she not help him? You know, because she wanted to see what he could do or figured he could handle himself and she was just going to hang back, you know, if she needed him or if he needed her. So that that was interesting because obviously that whole stopping time thing. I don't remember that the old Daemonites used to do stuff like that. I think they did, didn't they? I don't remember any of that. They didn't They didn't seem to have too much uh, power in the old ones, honestly. I think I remember in Wildcats Volume 2 when Voodoo was hurt. And when she first realized she was half Daemonite, I think the Daemonite that came to visit her, they mentioned something about him slowing down time for whatever reason. I don't remember if it was to keep Maul away because that was when Maul was staying with her. But there was something there was something familiar about that, and I have to go back and and see if I can find that. But I think it was just it was not something they used all the time. Obviously, I do kind of remember that from from Volume Two. But, I mean, it's an interesting aspect here because it allows them to, you know, to operate on Earth and not draw attention to themselves. Because that's the thing about the Daemonites is this is the first issue we got to see them swarm, you know. And that's that's always been their strength is that they always come in swarms. So it was cool to see that they, they still use that tactic here. Because, yeah, they can, uh, they're kind of like zombies, I guess, like that. <laughs> they're, they're more dangerous in bigger numbers. Oh, they're like locusts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, just still enjoying it. I mean, and now we know we have three issues left with Nathan, so we'll see how much more he divulges about Grifter. And I heard some people say that they thought the Black Curate might actually be Lord Defile because of the red Daemonite creature that's on the cover to number six. So we'll see. And it might just be it might be a totally new character, so we'll find out. <laughs> that's true. If that were the case, though, I, I really don't think they're going to bring anybody out into, except for Hellspawn right now and see where that goes. Before they start drumming up a lot of the other main Daemonite forces. Yeah. Anyway, so speaking of the Daemonites, we'll go ahead and continue on to uh, Voodoo Number 5, which is uh, written by new writer Josh Williamson, with art by Sammy Basri and the cover by John Tyler Christopher. And I think so far, next to the Green Lantern cover, this is definitely my favorite. (laughs) I just think it's perfect. I would be curious to hear how he um, comes up with the ideas if they just basically give him the script for the issue and say, you know, here's what's going on, come up with something. Because <laughs> uh, I thought this whole yin-yang idea with Voodoo and the Daemonite was perfect because it totally, you know, speaks to the to the series and what she's dealing with. And um, Josh Williamson obviously, you know, wanted to start off his run with a bang. Yeah, I loved just from the opening scene... You know, he continues to show that Voodoo's a badass because she takes out, you know, two guards who are there talking at this government installation and basically, you know, just runs by kind of, you know, high speed and just slashes both their throats. (laughs) So I was like, okay. I mean, it's interesting because, 
you know, she's leaning more towards villain, I guess, in our eyes because she's killing humans. But that's just us being human thinking that, you know, for her, she's fighting for the cause for her people. Which I think in this issue, I think we've finally gotten a clearer picture of of what it is that she is versus the Daemonites, because that that was kind of confusing there. You know, they didn't really paint a clear picture of that. So basically, she comes to back to the ship that brought her to Earth. And, you know, it's a Daemonite battleship, and you know she's preparing to um, to send all the information she's gathered on Earth heroes. You know, back to the Daemonites, and that's when um, the Daemonite that's been trailing her the last couple of issues, you know, first by going to that diner that she went to, and then killing people there, and then going to the to a Skinny's garage and killing that kid and stealing the gun, you know, and he finally shows up here and basically, you know, tells her that you know she's hard to find, and that um, so Voodoo starts doing her thing, you know, trying to seduce him. And uh, using her powers apparently to to try to read her mind is what uh, what he says because apparently he's been trained to block her kind he says and so she finally realizes that he's a daemonite you know she basically is telling him you know why are you here um, you know I know my identity was compromised but they didn't have to send someone and he's like well basically I'm here to kill you <laughs> so he he's a, apparently the daemonites are split on the use of, of hybrids. He's he's a daemonite that believes that only pure blood daemonites should be representing their cause and that, you know, the hybrids were a mistake. And this is where we first get a mention of apparently there's some sort of prophecy among the, the daemonites concerning all this. Because um, Voodoo mentions that hybrids are part of the, the prophecy that they're referring to here. And, you know, he's arguing otherwise. So basically she gets pissed off and <laughs> transforms and starts to attack him. Meanwhile, back at the military base, which Voodoo just escaped from, uh, we see Agent Fallon packing away her stuff because apparently she's been put on leave because they, they're deeming her not uh, not fit to continue to, uh, to chase after Voodoo because they're saying her anger is clouding her judgment. And we see a, a, she holds a, a picture of her and I um, can't remember his name, is the agent from the first issue that Voodoo killed. Apparently, we see that you know that she's she's been a black razor, an actual you know armored black razor in the past. I thought it was kind of funny. She makes a comment to herself that she should have joined the Black Hawks, which of course we know is a new team that's in the DCU. So I, I continue to like little um, little things they allude to like that. And then Blackjack shows up, telling her she doesn't need to call it quits, and and you know he he basically <laughs> blows up her box of belongings. Is like you know we need to go, we need to go after her, and you know he's pissed off because she's eluded them so much and agent fallon in you know discussing it with him apparently realizes something that she has figured out that might help so they take off into some other location meanwhile we go back to the battle between uh the daemonite and voodoo and she's still in her form and he's still in his human form using the the weapon that he uh had and she's slashing at him till finally you know she damages his human skin enough to where he just finally pulls it off and uh, goes into his uh, daemonite form and from there they just continue their battle and as they do the daemonite form apparently is bigger than the human form so so voodoo to compensate you know i guess best way to put it she starts to hulk out you know she starts to increase her mass and the um daemonite starts telling her you know well you're pushing your 
your transforming powers too much and and she realizes it too so so she makes one last ditch effort to try to read his mind and when she does we get a really cool two-page spread of voodoo in his mind and i love the design for this page it's the um it's Leonardo da Vinci, isn't it, that did this design? Yes. Yeah, I have no idea what it's called, but it's the you know it's the human form, the symmetrical human form, I guess. And so what what Basri does is you know he splits it in the middle, and you know half of the form is voodoo human, and half the form is voodoo daemonite, so or hybrid, however they want to say it. And then in the in the surrounding images, we see Grifter fighting the daemonites. Apparently, you know, there's something. She gets the word fear when when she sees Grifter's image from the Daemonite. Then she sees Stormwatch, and apparently this is before the station starts exploding. <laughs> and he gets she gets the word trapped. So apparently there's this might allude to the fact that you know that there's something on the Stormwatch space. You know, it might be another Daemonite. And then we see a little baby in the incubation tube, and she hears the word life, and that's all we get of that. And then we get the uh, another panel, we get the word death. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it looks like this is at the point where the Daemonite transfers into the, the host body he was using. And then she gets the word love. And then we see Agent Fallon. And then the word escape. And we see Agent Fallon again during the uh, escape from last issue that Voodoo escaped the compound. So, you know, she finally breaks the connection and... Um, the Daemonite's freaking out because he says, you know, you, you didn't just read my mind, you entered. He's like, no Daemonite or hybrid can do that. And Voodoo, and Voodoo goes into my favorite scene in this issue, and I, I couldn't put it up on the written review because I didn't want to spoil it. But she basically transforms into Grifter because she remembers that the Daemonite fears Grifter. So we get an awesome picture of her, you know, transforming into Grifter, and, you know, he's he's holding out his weapons, you know, and He's got he's got red eye the red eyes you know that she's got and it's just a great great shot and and the Tamanite's actually scared uh, when he realizes who it is but suddenly Voodoo's uh, shape shifting turns on her and it actually hurts her because she's been using it too long and so we learn that she has a limitation to that so that's that's pretty cool that we got that bit of information because it does make for a you know for more uh, suspense you know because you you know that the longer she uses it the the more she's putting herself in jeopardy. So the Daemonite basically blames the fact that she's been amongst the humans and she's getting soft and going to show her how a Daemonite kills without hesitation. And So Voodoo risks one more transformation and actually transforms large enough to literally bite the Daemonite's head off. <laughs> so definitely an interesting way to finish off a Daemonite and then she just spits the head out in the next panel. And she transforms, and she actually kicks the head down the corridor, which I thought was pretty funny. And so, since she's you know still dedicated to her mission, she goes back to the Daemonite computer, prepares to upload the information on Earth's heroes, and then we start getting a uh, juxtaposition of uh, where Blackjack and Agent Fallon are versus where Voodoo is, because apparently Fallon and Blackjack are in some other hidden you know base. Meanwhile, Voodoo is uh, pulling up information on all the heroes, and it's pretty cool because we see on the screen we see Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, Cyborg. So it's it's cool to continue to see the connections here. And as Voodoo is uh, looking up files, she sees that they have a file on her, 
And so she decides to select it. We get another, like I said, WTF moment <laughs> as Voodoo apparently realizes that she's a clone because Agent Fallon and Blackjack find the real Voodoo captured in one of their installations. Definitely did not see that one coming. So I think it's great that Josh Williamson decided to start with just a sharp turn, I guess, in the story, <laughs> you know, because there was no allusion to this anywhere. And again, kind of like with Grifter, people were splitting this in the board. But actually, I think I saw more positive reaction to this that I saw negative. I mean, obviously, you're always going to have some people with negative stuff, but but I think I saw more people say that this actually led them to want to keep reading. So that was definitely a positive, because like I said, you know, I was kind of worried, like you were talking about last month, Ben, that, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to see where Voodoo was going. And at least this, you know, gives us something interesting a new a new direction to go into that i think is very interesting so i think josh williamson has done a great job in this first issue hopefully hooking you know the readers who have stayed on and hopefully generating enough buzz to where anybody who's dropped it will come back and give it a try so uh what did you think ben i agree it's a, it, it red is quite a different uh type of issue i mean there was some action in there, and there was also some really different reveals. I did not expect her to be a clone. That was that was something quite new, and I I guess it's kind of presumptuous to say, but I don't think Ron Mars was going in that direction, and and he may have, but but there was no allusion to that, and I thought it was a really really cool reveal. I didn't even see that coming at all. I mean, no nowhere along the line did Agent Fallon that known to us or hinted upon that at all but it still worked out seamlessly and i thought that that was great and we got to learn more about some of voodoo's powers and and what her limitations are you know being able to read read minds and that was a little bit in addition you know to what she's alluded to before how deep that she could go um it'll be interesting to see you you know where it goes from here because now now she realizes a couple you know some more about the daemonites and and some things that she can do even though she's a hybrid you know she may use that to her advantage um and we're still kind of split on you know what side she lies on and i think that you know as she continues it may flip-flop you know between humans or uh daemonites and, and who her true ally is uh, right now, she's riding that fence pretty pretty close. Um, obviously, she doesn't want to be hunted. However, you know the Damonites aren't exactly her uh, best friends either. So it's interesting. There's a lot of different things that I never really anticipated coming out of this title. Um, a lot of new ideas and, and new directions, especially for this character in general. Um, digging it. See where it goes from here. Yeah, the one thing I heard people say, which I hope is addressed next next issue, is the fact that Agent Fallon just all of a sudden was like, oh, wait a minute, you know, and then they take <laughs> off, you know, it's like, so that was kind of a little, we'll see, you know, if she if she gives justification next issue of why, because I'm sure that's going to be Blackjack's first question, why didn't you say anything before now, you know? Right. So I hope it's his first question. That'll be my. That would be my first question. You know. Yeah, that was an odd sequence of events. I don't know how that really got triggered. Well, anyways, other Wildstorm sightings and tie-ins over the last month. Demonites number five came out on December fourteenth. Merlin was in it again. Who is 
Adam one, as we found out. It'll be interesting to see if he pops up a lot more because he just got killed off in Stormwatch, um, so to speak. It'll be interesting to see if we see Adam one pop up in other books, you know, throughout the ages. But I do kind of want to read through Demon Knights again because, you know, Cornell really did put a lot of stuff in there. And I don't think everybody's kind of dug it all out and realized all the ties that he's put in there. So, and I know that I didn't catch all of them, so I kind of want to go back into that and go back through. Uh, Superboy number five came out on December 14th as well. And this is where Superboy rescues Fairchild from uh, Nowhere's Grasp. Did you get this one? I, I didn't get it, but I did make it a point to just pick it up in the shop and read that one section where he rescues Fairchild, and I loved it. Oh, it's like, it's so awesome. And the only thing that kind of killed it for me was later, Lobdell did an interview and said that he's not going to make her a love interest. I'm like, oh, come on, dude. <laughs> like, just let Red Robin have Wonder Girl and just let Superboy have Fairchild and everybody's happy. So, <laughs> <laughs> At least we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But no, it was great. I, I, I mean, I didn't read it. Obviously, the rest of the issue, but that one section with just that was was awesome. I loved it. So yeah, it was really cool. Uh, Legion Lost number five came out on December fourteenth as well. You know, the Black Razors were an appearance in number four, and they're in this one as well. They don't even say their names. They're barely distinguishable. Honestly, they're not detailed out at all. And uh, Legion Lost basically. Wipes, you know, wipes them out pretty quickly and gets rid of them. And it, it really is a non-issue, and it's really not much of a good tie-in. Uh, more of a tie-in is at the very end of that issue, uh, Martian Manhunter makes an appearance on the last page. So that may continue for the next couple issues. We'll see where that goes. Uh, Martian Manhunter's kind of been popping around here and there, as we'll find in Green Lantern Corps number 5, which came out on December 21st. Martian Manhunter appeared as well. And it, was there a door in that issue? I don't think so, because I think he was already there. I think it was just continuing on from whatever was happening in the previous issue. Got it. Um, and then December 28th, uh, Teen Titans number 5 released. I just read it. There weren't really any Wildstorm ties that I could uh, tell. There was some paper on the ground in one of the panels, and it was kind of a, a sketch of a nerdy young girl that had glasses and sort of freckly, and it said, um, have you seen me? Kind of like a, a poster that you'd see pinned up on a uh, light post or something like that. I thought that may have been an illusion of Fairchild, but hmm. probably not, honestly. It was minor. Yeah. Well, it is It is Brett Booth drawing it, so, you know, he's he's an old Wildstorm person, so maybe, you know. We'll see. I should be getting that this week. So, <laughs> uh, one quick thing I wanted to mention about that, though, with Legion Lost, apparently, going into that new title, The Ravagers, not only is it going to deal with Superboy and um, and Teen Titans, but apparently there's going to be Legion Lost kind of mixed in there too. From somewhere, some other interview I read with that, so that's going to be interesting to see. Just more stuff to pick up. <laughs> Which, by the way, I have to say, the first casualty for me uh, from the DCU 52 is Justice League Dark. And it's not because it's not good, because I am liking it, but it's just too much already. <laughs> Especially with the Ravagers coming and Batman Incorporated coming. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> are, you, are your pockets hurting? <laughs> yes. 
But we'll talk about my pockets hurting here at the very end of the podcast. Because <laughs> I have one more thing after we, you know, um, wrap up everything. But before I do that, I uh, just want to mention that here in February, uh, the first, we do have Stormwatch number six. You know, we'll, we'll see, you know, how much of an issue we get with the blown up station. So, <laughs> And then on the eighth, we get Grifter number six. And uh, Superboy number six, which, you know, another Fairchild appearance is very likely. Demon Knights number six, which I will finally get to pick that one up same day. Same thing with Superboy. <laughs> and so we'll see what other connections to Stormwatch there are. Because like as we said, you know, we saw the 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 box with the Holy Grail in it in Stormwatch's uh, uh, station, which now I guess is now floating in space. <laughs> but... Uh, and Legion Lost number six, uh, you know, probably no more Black Razors because they're probably going to go home and lick their wounds. So, <laughs> their wounds, I mean. And then on the 22nd, we get Voodoo number six, which I think, I mean, I'm really looking forward to all of them, but I really are curious to see what else Josh Williamson wants to do. So, I think I really am looking forward to this one just a little bit more than the others. Just a little bit. <laughs> it's kind of like picking between your children, you know. <laughs> and then Teen Titans number six. It appears that Superboy is closer to join the team, and no Fairchild to join him. You know, not to just show up and be like, "Hey, <laughs> it's cool that you're joining the team." Me yeah. too. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just be the girlfriend that hangs out at the at the station. You know, <laughs> and uh, remember that all the books are available digitally either through DC Comics website or Comicsology.com day and date every Wednesday. How about some quick shout-outs, Ben? Be sure to check out Chris Stryker's Stormwatch site, which is uh, stormwatch.ws. That's not a .com. It's just stormwatch.ws, no www. And remember to visit the Higher Authorities message board, Clark's Bar, to continue the Wildstorm integration discussion amongst longtime Wildstorm fans and new Wildstorm fans at theauthority.ws. That's theauthority.ws, no www needed. And remember to go check out DC Wormhole Podcast number six is out at culturalwormhole.com and they're covering the other titles in the DC New 52. Um, They kind of take care of what we don't. As far as the 52 books, um, we take care of Wildstorm, they take care of everybody else, so... (laughs) <laughs> oh, by the way, there was a fire at Clark's Bar this this past week, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. I did not. <laughs> yes. The, it, it consumed all the messages, and Chris Stryker has been doing his best to recover everything. So, <laughs> Oh, no. That's a good way to start clean and uh, start a new conversation. Uh, but anyway, just uh, if you want to contact us, you can find me at Twitter, uh, on twitter.com slash grifter78. You can also look up both me and Ben at the Wildstorm Resource Wiki. Uh, he's yoyomaster146, and uh, that's wildstormresource.wetpaint.com. Uh, we also have the Twitter for the podcast. It's uh, twitter.com slash wildstormaddict. Or you can email us at wildstormaddiction at gmail.com. Before you go into that, there's a new way to contact us. I forgot to list it on there for you. Do you know what that is? Ooh, do tell. <laughs> do tell. <laughs> we now have a Google Plus page. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> you can search for us on Google Plus or just Google at uh, Wildstorm Addiction, and you should be able to find us pretty easily. And, you know, basically, you'll get all the, the feeds from Twitter and uh a blog over there as well but if you'd like to comment on on them and continue the conversation feel free to stop by 
Yeah, because Ben hasn't showed me what that is yet, so I couldn't promote. I couldn't have promoted that even if I wanted to. I'd be like, "Yeah, we have Google Plus." Okay, on to the next thing. I, you know, well, I figured you you take care of the Facebook side. I'm like, eh, I may as well start the Google Plus side. So anyway, last thing on the menu, I found the old Fairchild and Grunge statues off of eBay this past week. I have been looking for those things forever and ever. It cost me a pretty penny. <laughs> But I have them, hopefully, and praying to God that they will come with no problems and then that I can actually assemble them with no problems. That's the other issue, too. <laughs> so <laughs> for those of you who don't know, just run a search for those. They're actually, I mean, I, I think pretty cool statues. They're based off of, of J. Scott Campbell's old drawings. So uh, definitely some awesome finds. I now have every Wildstorm statue that exists, and there's only four of them. <laughs> That's cool. I actually have those two. I do not have the Voodoo one or the original Grifter one. So I'm still looking for those two. Apparently Voodoo is pretty reasonable on eBay is what Chris Jacker is telling me. I don't know about the Grifter one. I've never had to look for him, but <laughs> so Yeah, well good man. You if you've got these two, you you got it. Yeah, those other two should be no problem for you. <laughs> these were hard to find. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I I got pretty lucky getting those two. Yeah. But hey, that's a good segue. Actually, did you uh, you want to go over the announcement? Uh, no. What announcement is that? <laughs> what? You lost me again with the Google. We're talking posting. about the statues. <laughs> There's going to be a grifter statue in the summer. Oh yes! Thank you for reminding me. How could I forget that? <laughs> yes, there is on August 2012. Apparently, if you check our Twitter feed, I did post a picture. It's still in. Um, what is it, the pre-mock-up or whatever? It's not even painted yet. Right. So I actually will post it in our news section when we get a good colored, you know, fully painted version of the statue. But, yes, uh, as soon as DCBS has that on their pre-orders, it's mine. So <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, awesome. so, yes, it's really cool that we're getting lots of cool... Wildstorm character stuff now that they're part of DC. So see, all you fans who are complaining out there that are the diehard Wildstorm, just, you know, look at all the goodness you're missing. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, all right, well, I guess we better sign off. So thanks again for listening, guys. Stay tuned next month to the Damonites Attack. Attack. <laughs>